This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Spartan 117. Welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. Anthony and Skyler will take it from here. Master Chief, out. Hello and welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. I'm Skylar Sokol. And my name is Anthony. And we always record the intro perfectly on the first take. Yep. <laughs> um, today, we are going to delve back into something from our good buddy, Jesse Shell, Anthony's best friend, Jesse Shell. He just doesn't know it yet. He just doesn't know it yet. Anthony's future best friend. Yes. And he has provided us I, I in that his game design lens app that is available on mobile devices. There's a random button, and I just hit the random button and fell on fell on lens 106, the lens of Utopia, and it felt like a good topic. So we're gonna go into that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to go over a little bit about what Jesse says about the lens of Utopia. So what Jesse says is, uh, this is why it is of the utmost importance that when you choose new technologies, you choose the ones most likely, likely to lead to a better world. At this point in time, I believe that these five types of technologies have the best chance of fulfilling that dream. And he goes in to specify a few different ways he thinks that technology and games more specifically can bring about a utopia, a better world. He says magical interfaces. Intuitive interfaces are not enough. Players want interfaces that feel magical. And he calls out iPhones and iPads. Then he says fair payment. The models for how video games are purchased have changed radically over the last decade as many experiments have taken place. And still, players don't really find the systems we have for selling games entirely fair. Uh, that's a good one we'll talk about. He then says, less A, more I. That's referring to artificial intelligence. He wants more intelligence, less artificial. It's cute. Um, but basically just talks about AI is a big thing in upcoming technology. And obviously it is. Then he says, family and friends. People love playing games together. They don't want to be alone. And there are a lot of missed opportunities in that space for games. He calls out, where are the games that a husband and wife will be delighted to play together night after night? Where are the games that put a whole family on a quest? Where are the games that help connect children with their remote grandparents? Um, yeah, interesting. And then the last one is transformation. People play games for light amusement, yes, but what if you could make games that help people change into the people they truly want to be, transforming them mentally, physically, and spiritually? This is hard to deliver, but there's great demand for, for it, as the success of things like We Fit and Luminosity has shown. If you choose technologies that help people improve themselves, you'll undoubtedly be leading us to a better world. Um... Yeah, I think that that is a good introduction to this topic. Yeah, um, I I would just if I can just add one other thing he says uh in this chapter he says um uh before he, he he's the context that he's saying this in right is talking about how technology in games plays such a big role right in this case the the this utopian this chase for a utopian reality um and he says the potential, the potential for dramatic change that technologies offers offers is going to be naturally interesting. But there's something more. There's something that technology offers that every human being who ever lived has sought: utopia. 
you know, a desire for utopia is something we all have in common. The dream of a perfect world is the driving force behind so many things, schools, churches, governments, laws, inventions, internet startups, blah, 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 blah. And then he proceeds uh, to say a few other things, including what you just, you know, what you just read, these five these five areas in technology to kind of like focus on in his opinion, right? That, yep. that enable, that bring that about. Um, yeah. I think first, first and foremost, I just want to say, this is such a cool, this is such, uh, this is one of the zillion of examples in this particular book that um, I think convey the, the beautiful kind of creative aspect of games that in so many times, especially at least in the, in the big, big triple a games that we see go um, seem to be missing, right? Like yeah, uh, you, you mentioned this, this fair payment idea and, and really in uh, several of these categories, I don't know what, uh, no, I don't know about you, but I feel like indie games generally do a better job of meeting, um, more of these five categories than AAA games. Do. Yeah, and just meeting the overall concept of bringing good to the world. I think out of these categories, right, some of them are a little superficial, like interfaces feeling magical, sure, like, but when you compare that to something like transformation or something like fair payment, those really stand out to me as things that, like, really matter and really bring us to, like, a better world. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Um, well, yeah, th- well, that is an interesting point. We, I, when we kind of just brought up the topic on when we were discussing what we could talk about today, um, I, I made that, I, I, I brought you that point too. It's like what, what um, constitutes like bettering the world, right? Yeah. Like I- magical interfaces um, is, and the less a more I, maybe you could even say. Goes along these lines of it maybe doesn't have a, a direct correlation with um, I don't know improving like that that fifth category that he was talking about like someone emotionally or even physically mentally spiritually like was a magical interface you know how can Rocket League do that you know what I mean like can Rocket League do that and does that if it doesn't, if it, if it can't, right? Like it doesn't have a narrative story. Maybe uh, like a game like God of War, Last of Us can somehow present some of these deeper, um, yeah. uh, not philosophical, maybe to some extent philosophical, but like these deeper emotional stories and exploration of like human experience. Rocket League is cars playing soccer at least I mean, just Rocket on the League fall, falls into the bringing friends and family together category though right. which i think is another valuable category yep. um for sure um granted like yeah and rocket league's accessibility is one way that it it sort of does a good job in that category better than some other games that like mm-hmm. anyone can sort of enjoy it although i'm not sure rocket league's the kind of game that's gonna bring his uh net a grandchild closer to his remote grandparent right a grandparent isn't really the target audience for Rocket League. So not entirely, but it, that's definitely the category there that it is shooting for. But we're talking about games being bringing you to a better world. I don't know if Rocket League would be a choice for me. Like, that's not on my list, right? Yeah. I'm not thinking that Rocket League is a game that's really trying to do that. And that especially relates to, like, the fair payment model and stuff like that. Rocket League has gone through a lot of changes and trouble um, in the payment space, right? They had like right. loot crates originally, and then they went out of it. Now they're sort of back to it, and they have their like shop, and you know they've done like as far as payment goes. I'm not saying Rocket League has done an amazing job or anything. You know yeah, what I mean? I'd agree. 
So, well, I don't know. That's a that's an interesting point because the uh, free to play financial model is becoming more and more uh, ubiquitous. 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 Um, Yeah, I could work on my English a little bit, but uh, I feel like in a lot of in a lot of the implementations for these free to play models, it's it's basically like let's inconvenience the player enough. To the point where they'll spend money. <laughs> you know yeah, what I well, mean? like a lot of the mobile models are based on like saying, oh, you can't play anymore unless you pay money. Or they get like so arbitrarily difficult that unless you pay exactly. money, you basically have to get very lucky to proceed. We inconvenience you, we inconvenience you into forcing you to pay, right? Like Absolutely. that's why... It's why I stopped playing Clash of Clans on mobile. Is like probably mm-hmm. the game that I technically played the most, but it hit a point where it was like I needed to spend money to get past the ridiculous amount of time it was going to take for me to grind out my bases and shit. So yeah, and that that's the big issue with the three free to play concept, right? Is that like by making a game free, you create an expectation for the player that they're going to be able to fully enjoy the game at that price point of free, right? Yep, and that's like that makes it for a complicated moral issue right like are you basically deceiving the player by telling them your game is free and then making them pay money to enjoy it fully i think to a certain extent you absolutely are right and that's why a lot of some of these companies are still opting for this like initial payment barrier model because like is even games that have like rocket league for example is a, gr- a good example of this right where you pay an initial price for the game so you've already like committed money you expect that you're going to get your value out of that and i think you totally do and then they add cosmetics on top that you don't need to pay for at all for any reason yeah like uh, in that way they've done a good job and their like most recent iteration although grant now they're free to play right now rocket mm-hmm. league is free to play which is crazy considering how much gameplay you get out of paying nothing right yep yeah it's that this and on the on the other end of the spectrum, you now have games ra- rise, raising their price to seventy dollars in some cases, right? right. And uh, at least based off of the interactions um, we've had on Instagram with our community, when we've talked about seventy dollars games and in, in, in various contexts, whatever, uh, it's almost always like games need to go the other direction, right? Like right. they they need to get cheaper. Not- Most people playing Fortnite now kind of expect that, right? Yeah, I think that's that's one thing they've uh this newer generation's conditioned to like why do I have to pay for a game? You know what I mean? Um yeah. but at the same time there's the yeah, there's the whole reality of like games are more expensive to make. How do you make money? It's it's a weird Well, the stu- I I think the studios have done a horrible job of justifying the higher price point like they haven't like come out and talked about why they have like if you want to justify a higher price point you come out you give the breakdown you're like here's why look at this like you like our game well if you pay 70 dollars, then the guy who made the people making the game can actually make their money back but without that it's easy to just assume that like oh they're greedy and want more profit right Uh, yeah i i think that's got to be what where where that eventually leads is that eventually they show you enough behind the curtain, then you're like, wait a minute, like <laughs> you would be good if you only, you know, bought if we bought you're telling me if this is what you need and we buy whatever a million copies, you should be good. So why the fuck do we have microtransaction? You know, so I, right. I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's totally. maybe one of the reasons why they don't well, want that's to. That's the issue, right? A lot yep. of AAA companies are looking to make more money, right? That's their goal. They are a corporation. One and last thing another... I'll just say on the fair payment, because honestly, we could probably talk about it the whole time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Is, I, think, um, I think actually the other 
categories are more interesting in a way. So Right. The, the last thing I'll say there is I personally feel one way they could maybe make this more fair and meet the expectations of the consumer a little better in the game space is AAA games should stop trying to make fucking 500-hour experiences and just make a really compelling, like, 15 to 30-hour experience, you know? And, and and sell it for less. You know, spend less time developing it. Don't spend seven years making a game. You know, just spend two to three, make whatever that is, sell it for a solid polished price, maybe even have multiple teams doing others. I don't know. I think, like, condensing the experiences and not always... You see this with Marvel Avengers, right? They fucking... Square Enix, I think, lost over 60 for sure over 60 million dollars on that Mm -hmm. game so far right big ass huge development effort we put all this money we're gonna do like this open big mmo or like shared world you know beat them up thing it's the avengers we'll put cosmetics and like nobody fucking cares like they spend so much time on these experiences that are so hard to make compelling and you you just fucking blow money. If you would have used Square Enix and made just like a bunch of like compelling sequences for the Marvel characters, gotta imagine that would do better. I mean, look That'd at Spider Man on the PS4. Right. Yeah. Right? And you just make a Spider Man for each of the Marvel characters. And yeah. Just boom. do exactly. Just do Spider Man, but like for Iron Man, for Thor, for <laughs> yep. whatever. Yep. Easy. It's done. Yeah. I um. <laughs> I I do worry though. Like the opposite side of that spectrum, right, is like the Call of Duty model, right, where you're just yeah. like chugging out a a. The same experience every two years or whatever. Well, and I think you're starting to see. Um, uh, we I just had this morning with. By the way, if you're listening with our new coffee with Bram Wallace series on oh. Insta- I was I went Instagram live with our community today, and we talked a lot about Cold War. And basically, most of all the Call of Duty guys were like, mm, "Yeah, it's okay," you know, meaning these this like. Three-year development cycle per studio every year of fucking Call of Duty is maybe starting to hit its limit, you know, like of on the quality front. I mean, it's already been diminishing for a long time, I think generally people yeah. feel, but maybe it's really starting to hit it. They didn't even have – do you know that they said Cold War doesn't even have ranked modes right now? The what? Excuse I, me? The game's how do you out, launch? right? Yeah. And I Googled it and, it and the Reddit post that came up was like, why are there no ranked modes? Maybe if, it, if you're listening to this and it's there, it's there, but – what? The people in our stream, uh, from they thought there were no ranked modes. They were all they were all adamant that there were no ranked modes. So if it is there, what? they don't. Nobody fucking knows. <laughs> that's that's actually insane. That's horrible. I don't get. I have. I can't believe yeah. that's a thing. Anyway, anyway yeah. Fair forward, payment. I think, yes. <laughs> I want to talk about. I want to talk about AI for a bit because. Like, yes. It's really interesting, right? Because you don't really think about like games using AI as necessarily bringing good to the world, like it, but. <sighs> I think one way you can define bringing good to the world is bringing people like happiness, right? Bringing people joy, giving people something to an experience that they can't really have elsewhere, I think is a way to bring good to the world uh, to some degree. I don't know if it's as much good as transformation games bring to the right, world, right, but right. obviously those are nearly impossible to do effectively. Like, And so I don't know. What are ways you feel like bring how you can bring more like i to ai like jesse shell says bring more intelligence to ai what does that mean and what does that do to like make games better well i'll actually talk uh, about what i'm i've observed recently the last few installments in halo which the original halos were uh well acclaimed at the time for their ai 
And uh-huh. I have felt that like many other games, the AI, there's more A, <laughs> there's more uh-huh. instances of A and there's less I, you know what uh-huh. I mean? Right. Like there's more guys on the battlefield, but what they, act, I, I was telling you in the Halo Infinite demo, if you would have shown me an example of like, there's a, a contextual awareness. And, and to be fair to 343, they actually did show some of this. There was like the chief crosses a certain boundary and a grunt and a brute turns around, picks up a grunt and throws him. Right. Right. Like, so that's cool. They have to know the grunts there and they whatever. And the grunt activates his suicide grenades while he flies. Like, cool. If you would have shown me an, an instance of like, there's a brute on one level, there's a jackal on another level, and the brute like throws up a rifle to the jackal so that he can start sniping you. That's so much more fucking interesting than there's three brutes. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Uh, and personally, what I think from the enabling like this utopia and bettering people perspective, what that does is it just feels it, when we when we talked about the the three facets of human happiness, the competence, the mastery, the relatedness. You know, when you beat an intelligent opponent, you feel more competent, right? I think that's a more satisfying experience for totally. you. Totally, it brings you closer to the experience of playing with a human, which. Right. As the other category shows, friends and family is its category on its own, right? Being able to like experience something against or with your friend is so meaningful. And then when you have like a fake friend or a fake enemy in a game that just feels like a robot, it's so much less valuable of an experience, right? Yep. I mean, that's why uh, that's a huge part of why I enjoyed the recent Doom, right? Doom 2016. The AI was really good um, and yeah, how they yeah. interacted with each other. Um, very intelligent. They felt intelligent. They felt challenging, and you felt very. It was very rewarding to beat them, right? Like, yeah. Um, so, from that perspective, I think that's how that can kind of and empower people, or you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Evan brings up in the chat. Evco Music brings up the Alien and Alien Isolation. Um, Alien Isolation being a horror esque action game where. At some point in the game, the alien starts following you around the ship and it like tracks you down, it uses your sound, it uses like a bunch of things to track you. And I, I actually never beat, I turned on that game because I got like to a part that I really didn't enjoy. But people who have played through the whole game really tout the alien being this like amazing pinnacle of AI because it just feels real. It feels like it's hunting you and not in like a cheap way, in like a cool, uh, in an intelligent way, I guess, and not in an artificial way, right? That's a big thing. Like, it can, when you fight like a boss in a game, there's a, there's a fine line between the boss's patterns feeling really artificial and feeling really intelligent, right? Yeah. Yep. Does, does the boss just smash you because he smashes every time, or does he smash you because it makes sense in the moment, right? And like, yep. developing to meet that, that fine distinction is really hard. And games that do it successfully are, do a great job of creating a, unique experience yep agree um i'll touch touch on real quick this magical interfaces sure uh, what do you think about it yeah well because as you know i'm pretty opinionated on menus and interfaces you you love menus when you scrolled in bioshock and it played music that brought good to the world that was very good there's just um there's a tell of craftsmanship on things like that in my opinion if uh if a game has gone through, it's very rare. I don't. I don't think I can think of a game that had great menus and wasn't also subsequently a good game. If that makes right. sense, 
um, or a compelling experience that I played. It's just like, uh, right, it's like a craftsmanship feel. I agree with him on the feeling magical. I also personally, especially when they first came out, the iPhone was is a, is a great example in my opinion. I always thought how fluid it was and how reactive it was to the touch and everything like that was just so solid. And I And this actually plays into some of his other points that we've talked about before, right? The toy. I don't think magical interfaces is just necessarily menus. It's like, it, the the game is responding to me as like I expect it to, as I tell it to, whatever. Uh, on that end, you know, Rocket League's fantastic from that perspective. Um, I, and so, anyway, I think I, I really like that magical interfaces. I feel yeah. like interfaces is is such a easy place to take you out of an experience you know it's true that's true interfaces and the way like you interact with the game in that way are hugely tied to immersion as i was thinking like it's not just about having like a magical interface it's also like being willing to lack have less interface right right, right. and like just like let the player be immersed not have this barrier of interface between the player and the experience that's true yeah. that's a really good point point. and evan brings up in chat he's saying it's like album art for music or vinyl box vinyl box it's all a part of the experience and if it's bad it sticks out uh it's true i agree yeah totally i actually here let me grab something yep 100 percent, evan uh, there's definitely an artistic choice when it comes to menu design. Yeah, and and like functionality, right? How, the ease of use. If It's like if you press start to make a settings change to your player and you get lost in the menu, right? It's, it pulls you out of the experience. I mean, <laughs> we talked about that radio menu in Doom yeah, as this yeah. thing for me. Pausing anyway. the entire game basically here. I just want to show like the album art thing is huge, right? Like I literally bought this album. This is a vinyl that I bought. Literally just because I really I like the artist and I love the art and I'm not ever going to use this to play the music, but I think it's just cool to have and cool to sit there because the like interface design is so nice, right? You know, what's an example of a game that had a beautiful interface, at least in my opinion, and it greatly helped convince me to buy it was Destiny. Interesting, really? I thought Destiny's uh, main menu where you're moving around your armors and stuff. You know, you've probably seen it, right? Like uh-huh. the guys in the middle and stuff. Always thought that was done so well. I thought m- navigating through the menus and stuff was very pleasant too. It was very, uh, again, like there was a sense of craftsmanship. Again, I, I ch- like you said, I turned on the game for other reasons, but its interface and its presentation of the world and its accessibility to it was a huge part of why I Interesting. Uh, ended That's up picking cool. up. So, all right. Okay. Now, now it's time. Now it's time to talk about the big one. All right. The big one. Time to talk about transformation. I think friends and family is pretty obvious. Um, I, I mean, I think there's interest there in the ideas Jesse Shell brought up about like how you connect children to their grandparents or like have a whole family play a game. And but I think we could do a whole podcast on that honestly, and maybe we should at some point. Kind of relates to our like uh to like the hearth the venues yeah, discussion, say, yep, right? It's very yep. related to venues. So I think we skip that one for now in interest of time. And let's talk transformation. So yep. have you ever experienced a game currently that you think you could say has that aspect? Do any come to mind? I don't I, I, I don't know if the answer is yes for me either. And maybe to some degree, maybe. I mean, do you want me to talk about mine or you want to? Yeah, yeah, you go first. So I the things that have done that the most for me are definitely like the walking simulator genre of games. And it's sort of like you were mentioning earlier. It's these really narratively focused games. Those are the games that, at least right now, have done that the most for me. Games like What Remains of Edith Finch gives you like 
it actually like gives you a new perspective on death. Like that is the goal of that game to have its player come out of it with a different perspective on what death is like, on like what death means to life, which is like crazy, yeah, right? To cool. think that right, right, right. a video yeah. game is attempting that. And Journey, right. Journey is another great example of this. That game, like you come out of it with like a different concept, sort of of friendship and like what companionship means. Um, the beginner's guide is another great example Evan brings up made by, um, the same guy. Um, the beginner's guide is a game that gives you a, like, different perspective on what it means to appreciate someone's art and, like, what, whether it's, if someone makes an amazing piece of art, is it okay to share that with the world if they don't want it to be shared with the world? Hmm. stuff like that those the, you would actually the beers guy is a game we should you should totally play on stream because it's literally about video game development um it's very yeah, cool that, yeah that's that, a that's and just art in general yeah that's a great example those are some examples of transformative games and i'm struggling to think of games that aren't narratively focused that do that and i think yeah, if I we agree. could come up with um, one that's like a million dollar idea right I agree. I, I really agree on that point. The The games that come to mind are definitely um, narrative driven or or the reason why they're compelling from a transformation perspective is because of their narrative, you know? Yeah. Um, actually, after having shit on AAA studios, the last game that made me, uh, f- you know, transform them mentally, physically, spiritually... Uh, the last game that affected me that way was actually Red Dead 2. Interesting. The, stor- was- the story of Arthur Morgan specifically, which is the protagonist. You actually, I think an element that's interesting there too was that your choices in the game do affect the outcome, right? So um, I saw the choices that uh, primarily my wife made, but like together sometimes we would decide what to do. Uh-huh. But it was, we basically chose him to be a good person, if that right. makes sense. And the story was very, I think in a lot of ways, very realistic. Like you don't actually, even as a good person, get to see out the, if you will, the justice that you feel should be done in that game. Uh, there are the game starts where, you know, you're, you're kind of with your gang, you're with your crew, you're, it's sort of like, okay, we're all banding together to get through this. But as time goes on in the perspective of, especially like the people who are in charge of the crew change and everything like that. There's this muddy, which is, it's very realistic, um, this muddy exploration of what's the right thing to do, like, who do I really have allegiance to, uh, kind of thing. And and by the end, um, like I said, you don't get that, I don't know, superhero movie ending where you beat the bad guy, you know what I mean? And um, do you come out of it feeling like that's okay? Like, is that the transformative lesson you're learning that you would expect you need that, but you don't need that? Or what What about the... I'm just curious, yeah. like, what about this is the transformative part for so you? So, at the end of... So, how what ends up happening is your protagonist succumbs to disease, uh-huh. right? Before you can, but, but he's made up his mind. Like spoiler the, alert for Red Dead, if you care, you huge skip spoiler ahead, Red but. Dead. Yes, for Red Dead too. Um, and the end, really, what it explores is like, is it worth it? And I would say that it does not. It's not. On the other hand, while it's you don't get that definitive, like we kicked his ass, you know, whatever ending. You also, it's not uh, the bad guy wins story either. It's a. Uh, 
what ends up happening at the very end is this exploration of like one of the guys, if you will, who was under the protagonist, who I actually think is the protagonist in Red Dead One, John uh-huh. Marston, um, confronts this the bad guy, if you will, and there's this moment of the bad the 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 main bad guy sort of turning good for a moment like in realization of what this the scene is and and sort of finishing the justice that you wish you would have if that makes sense so there's like saying that like you can if you just are a good person and you do these things well then other people may realize it and like the justice can come without like you actually the force doing it you know what i mean like it's like you're the effects of your uh good morality in this perspective went beyond you and it even went beyond your life right like it affected the others and in the end there is this in the at the end of the game you do feel like there is a sense of justice it's maybe not like what the way you'd want it to happen if you will but yeah it is there and so interesting yeah there's there are other routes though i googled like the other routes and I'll say that the other ones are interesting in their own right. They're like a different kind of exploration of of the human experience. But there were several moments in Red Dead 2 where I was like, fuck. You know, like I actually was thinking about it afterwards and um, was, you know, kind of happy. I probably won't ever be put in a position to like have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. I have so, to call out. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. I have to call out Journey here again just because now I'm realizing I think a big tie to these transformative experiences, at least the ones we're bringing up, is games with dialogue, right? Being able to actually use dialogue to convey these messages is super important, and Journey has no dialogue, right? Yeah. So to have a game, that's that's probably the closest, and maybe that's why Journey is so well-respected, right? Because that's the closest game that I've had to a transformative experience that literally has no dialogue. It does it solely through the game experience. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Right? For sure. And yeah, that's that's super unique. And you know, it's funny, you bring up this vengeance idea. That's also the like core concept of The Last of Us 2, as far as I know, is also a vengeance-focused game. And I'm not sure what the intention of the developers were, what they wanted as far as like the player's message, though. But what people got out of it clearly was some people were like even to the point of being disgusted by like the degree of violence and vengeance in the game to like so even if the game necessarily i and i assume that was intended by the developers but like it created this conversation outside of the game that could probably could have been transformative for people to like Mm -hmm. have to have this conversation about like is this kind of this degree of like revenge actually worth it for anyone Mm mm-hmm Yep. And, you know, the game uh, I, I know what you're talking about, no. and I saw those conversations happening. Having not played it, I can't you know, necessarily give my opinion on it, but I would agree that it definitely opened up that conversation beyond right. the game, right? Yeah. For sure. One l- other thing I wanted to mention in regards to transformation is like the these experiences, um, r- right? Like how you process the experience is so relative to you, right? Like yep. because uh, – Red Dead, for example, maybe is just not a big deal for you or not. But the other thing is, like, for me personally, uh, I think if I would have played the Halo games, the Halo campaigns, which affected me a lot when I was 12, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Right now, I would have a much different opinion, right? Of, of like, really the, the weight of the story and everything like that. But I think as, like, a 12-year-old guy, little kid, teenager, and thinking, like... Getting to like embody like this like uh, super 
badass guy who's saving people, who's sort of making the decision to do the right thing or whatever, it, it kind of impacts you direct differently because you're at a point in life where maybe you're trying to gauge really what direction you want to go on on some of these things, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that if you had that same story now, and even if I do look at it kind of analytically now, it's, it's not as like deep as it felt, you know, when I was 12, I guess. Right, or it was yeah. just more simple, right? But right, it's more black and white, right? And that's I wonder, what you need when you're a kid, right? Is more black and white yeah. understanding. And I wondered, if, I wonder if like uh, some, yeah, I'm not. I wonder, I'm sure that some of these games, if I would have played them at different points in my life, or even if I wouldn't have played them until the future, you know, I would. I think everything that you experience is in relation to where you are when you experience it, right? Like, yeah. So that's. That's another interesting thing, especially and commendable thing about games like Journey or what or whatnot that impact people of fall demographics, right? Like all kinds right. of, you know, anyway. Now, I got to bring up one final game, the, the closing thought on this transformation. The game, I brought it up before, but it has to be mentioned here because it's probably the game that I think the most of any game I have ever played brings good to the world in a transformative way. And that's the game Kind Words. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if you remember it, but it is a game on Steam. It's like $3 or something. Literally, the entire concept of the game is you write down things that are bothering you, questions you have in your life, um, just experiences you're having that you're upset, whatever. And then people can freely respond to those things, send you responses, send you stickers along with those responses. And that's the entire game. It's about people being able to just write down what's bothering them, what they're upset by, and get and have people respond to that. That's cool. Of just random, real, anonymous people, right? Entirely anonymous. Everything is anonymous, right? So it like that's something that really like only a video game could have, could do, right? That's a game that is creating an experience that you literally can't get elsewhere that directly assists people with problems that they're experiencing in their life. Mm -hmm. Or at least helps people feel listened to when they're not feeling listened to, right? Yeah. So no, hundred percent. I don't know. I that that I felt like it came to my mind. I'm like, this has to be mentioned, right? Because that that is a hundred percent like transformative, right? I'm sure there are tons of people who have literally like had personal transformations as a result. I definitely did. Like I played that game when I was in a bad place, and uh, some of the responses I got were really valuable to me in that moment. So that's cool. I yeah I. You said that, and I'm like, I don't know what I would call the most transformative game I've played from that perspective. From at least a, it's a, like mentally and like more like that mentally, spiritually. The physically one is interesting, like the physically transformative. Yeah, you never game. like we fitted, right? I wanted to, I wanted you to buy rig fit adventure. I I'm did still a little for the bit screwing around. That I feel like the most transformative game for me physically was fucking Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah, GDR, baby. totally. Yeah. That's like that, and honestly, that's like the revel that like revolutionized physically transformative games. No, it was for sure. It was. Uh, you fucking broke a sweat, dude. I swear I burned more calories on that thing than an elliptical in a half hour. For sure. <laughs> I think absolutely. Yeah, that's hilarious. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the most transformative game I ever played. Again, it's made, like it feels like from the context that where I was at the time and where I listened to it and everything, I, I would say it was the Halo campaigns, but that was because right. I was 10, you know? like and, Totally. And those experiences hit and me maybe there. you I just think haven't played it yet. Play, played the game that will be the most transformative, right? Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. 
Or maybe I haven't made it yet. Oh. <laughs> and with that, speaking of that, where can people find us if they well, want to know what sorry. games we're, we are making? We're, we're still getting used to this, but we have a patron game night question. I'm sorry. Quality time question from our Patreon. Yes. yes. <laughs> speaking of which, we have a Patreon. That's one place you can find us. You can back us on Patreon. Yes. Support us. Get our merch basically on a payment plan. It's a really good deal. You should do it. Yeah. You get access to behind the scenes content. We've been uploading some things just uploaded a bit of guitar stuff yeah nice. now um, what's our what's the question so from evan himself who was in chat today you might have heard him heard us calling out his name he's he asks do you see nintendo changing up their system design anytime soon other than just upgrading the parts for the switch with newer generations interesting question so i mean nintendo has been known for just coming out of left field with some brand new crazy idea every you know however every console cycle that they release consoles in um we did saw that with the wii like one of the most successful consoles ever the switch again has basically revolutionized like how people can think about gaming in a way and um i think my inclination though is to say in this current generation the answer is no mainly because i think the switch is still going very strong and doing extremely well yeah yeah, that that was going to be my answer. I feel like how well the Switch is doing um, gives them a buffer there. I, I feel like they don't need to release a new thing until they find a really good, better thing. Right, you know until what I they mean? come up with some Switch or Wii-level idea, right? To say, like, this is what we need to make next. Yeah. You know, people have made the comment in our Discord that a lot of the Switch library is still primarily, like, Wii U ports. And uh, so, it, from the perspective of there's lots of experiences. Where's my Mario Strikers, bro? Like, where's my Mario Strikers? Fuck Nintendo. Like, I got. Right. Th- there's still a lot of games they can release for that thing, and um, I, there is that rumor of like the Switch Pro coming later. I so I, I don't know. I feel like they'll sit on it until they've got some killer new thing. Although the Wii was super killer, and then they released the Wii U. Yeah. Kind of like. I feel like before I would still fucking play the Wii, dude, if I still had it. (laughs) So I'm tempted to say that the Wii to Wii U transition sort of happened at a different time, at a time where like this constant new console release innovation was like necessary to to survive. At least companies felt that way. Nowadays, like as we know, the Xbox and PS5, the new ones, are basically just like hardware upgrades to the last ones. They're not really Mm -hmm. that innovative. Mm -hmm. Like there are parts of them that you can argue are, but not compared to previous like generation yeah. leaps in innovation. So maybe well, Nintendo's the maybe, SSDs are good, but yeah, that's I what get I'm what you're like, saying. The SSDs are a thing, but like in the past, we weren't talking about like reducing our loading times being the biggest. No, I understand innovation what you mean. of our yeah, console, yeah. right? Yeah, I understand. So what you like, mean. I feel like maybe that means that Nintendo doesn't feel that pressure to like be one of those like iterative console companies anymore i think they sort of like found their niche and now they can do their own thing even more than in the past yeah i think and maybe the wii u was a sign for them should have been a sign for them that like don't do that again (laughs) right maybe it's not maybe we don't have to go like ham just because the other companies are releasing a new generation yeah just be careful you have momentum on your side you know you've got you're also building out um 
market share. Like there's more and more people's with your console, which increases the chance of successful games, you know, coming out, right? Like there's just more people to buy them and play them. So I don't know this. Yeah. This conversation can go into so many different directions, but maybe we'll leave it there for, for this podcast. Um, One last note, Nintendo mm -hmm. did release a new, a new console. It's their toothbrushing Pokemon game. Pokemon oh, Smile. I saw something about that. <laughs> I don't think it's I'm actually not... a new console. I think it's just mobile, and it uses some sort of camera shit to, to <laughs> make you brush your teeth or something. But that that that's the kind of thing I would I would maybe Nintendo. They did make and they made the new Mario Kart game, right? The like crazy AR Mario Kart, where you like have real yeah. Mario Kart cars that drive around your like house, but it adds like. AR shit like those are the that's the kind of things I expect from Nintendo now I think yep. they'll like keep the Switch as their core experience but maybe try smaller experimental things rather than big Wii U level experiments right it's an interesting niche they find themselves in Evan's pointing it out too because he's saying that they're the sort of the gold standard of portable slash home gaming and they own that niche right now in my opinion like yeah. they're the closest competitor in the foreseeable future i could see is, is the cloud gaming thing but the thing that nintendo does uh, at least like using the switch as an example better than anybody else and it has historically done better than else is like create compelling experiences that work in tandem with their hardware right so it's more than just like here's a controller to control a remote instance of like what you could play on your TV. It's like there's a it's like the example you just used with the Mario Kart AR stuff with uh whatever, different different games. Even just they- like the motion controls and how they exist in their games. Like other Sony and Microsoft have had motion control support in some ways for a long time and they've never created experiences that are as compelling as the motion control kind of experiences that Nintendo has made. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I just, yeah, Nintendo's is the best job of treating their hardware and software integration, I think, as a, as a priority. Um, and, you know, intent, like leveraging it. So I'm not sure. I, I think there's a whole interesting conversation. We had it with the Discord today about what the future holds and what the, that looks like. I largely believe that console gaming will, the casual console market will transition eventually entirely probably to the cloud consoles won't even be a thing except for nintendo like nintendo i could see kind of doing whatever the fuck they want they could like they usually do like they could have uh this this portable home gaming thing could be something that still has a place you know as we're seeing in in that in that future well and you would think that like mobile devices were going to replace that but so far that has not been the case we'll see if they I agree. Yeah, there. yeah. Whether they kind of, I don't know, if they can c- continue to have that like premium mobile experience, they not, they can yeah. probably win. It's just different. If you make a game like a for an Xbox game right now, so it's for a TV, is it cool that you can play it on your phone with XCloud? For sure, it's cool, but it's not made for it. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, right? This is, uh, to the contrary of like a lot of these Nintendo Switch games. So anyway, totally. Let's, all right, so now for real, tell us, tell us, people want to, 
get in, ask Patreon questions, talk to you on the Discord, join Anthony's morning coffee, Bramawalla <laughs> coffee hour. How, how do they do that? The easiest way to do that is to go to koalaentertainment.com because there you can find links to all our social media. Discord, as Skyler said, is where you also get the first details of our upcoming game. Get some lore drops, distinguish in cap one of the projects in our server, actually just getting a new drop this week. Uh, actually, Cryptic Bonnet getting one last week, too. To him. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, get get the first chance of that. You also have a link, as Skylar was mentioning, to our Patreon, which includes a ton of b- benefits like it legitimately does. You, if you're an American subscriber, by after six months of payment on our premium Koala Manjaro $10 a month plan, you get basically $55 worth of merch and stickers back. And if you're an international uh, subscriber, you actually make money on it technically. Like if you were to buy the equivalent stuff through the merch store, it would cost more because of shipping and everything. So not only do you get a ton of value there for merch stuff, but you also get behind the scenes content. You get to ask your questions. You get patron game night and the gems. You can play, you could play a jackbox with us like we did, uh, whatever last week. So anyway, bunch of good stuff on the Patreon. And then yes, you can find us on Instagram. We're always doing giveaways on Instagram, always doing giveaways on Discord. There are a lot of reasons to check us out. You can follow us on Twitch where we are talking right now. Uh, yep. We uh, stream our latest quality time podcast every Monday at 8.30. Also, we just recently launched, if you're a Halo fan, a Halo podcast, Craig Owala, that is uh, uh, really being led by a lot of the Halo guys in our community. I'm there too. It is, I'll, I'll, I'll say, there's a reason why this one's called Quality Time. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one's Valid. called Craig Owala. Like, Valid. It's, you really uh, embody the Craig experience. If you're yes, exactly. We're we're embracing the fact that Craig's in the name. If you're looking for like a, I would say a level-headed, casual, romping bullshittery of a time through Halo Town, Craig Owala's your thing with a bunch yeah. of Zoomers and Anthony. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, keeping them in line. You know, keeping uh, their Halo opinions in line. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so, anyway. Yes. Thanks for listening. Join us. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Woo! Yep. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Bye-bye.